0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Every day, the future's getting closer. Welcome to Master oh gosh, the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome I'm to my today's podcast. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another podcast. My name is Paul Abernathy. Today's podcast is a continuation, a continuation where we're looking at the proposed changes to the 2020 National Electrical Code. Again, remembering now uh, that nothing is set in stone. We still have to vote on these things. And we still have the option for a ma'am, if there's something you disagree with after the second draft report is published. That's where everybody like yourself can go out and read it. So it's still a living document. We're still working on it. But today we're going to talk about the things that we know have taken place uh, when it comes to at least the end of the second draft meetings. And so they get input into the computer and now we can kind of see it. So I'm just kind of giving you a 30,000 foot view of the discussions and the things that took place during the meeting. And uh, so that you kind of have a better understanding of of where we're headed. Now, this, again, doesn't mean that this is the way it's going to be. It's still got to be voted on. It still has to make it past the NITMAMS. Uh, but if you're familiar with the code development process, you have what's in the 2017 code. If you didn't like it, you submit a public input to make a change. As long as you substantiate the change, you can't just say there's something you don't like and we're going to kick it out. You have to justify it. Once you do that, we get together and we we, we massage it, write it out, put it as a, first, uh, as a first revision, and then it gets published as a first draft. Then you, the public, get to see it again and say, well, I don't think that you made the change that I wanted, or I disagree with an action that y'all took. Then you get to submit what's called a public comment, and that's where we're at now. We've completed the public comment stage, and we just had the meetings where we took all the information that you individuals submitted and put it into a the document. So now it'll be voted on because nothing happens until you vote. Once it's voted on, then it'll come out of what's called the second draft, and the public will get to see it. Then you get one more shot at it. We have what's called a ma'am, and you get to, to argue your position at the NITMAMs uh, if you want to do that. So you get a bunch of bites at the apple in order to get the code the way you want it to be. Again, it's your code, however you want it. Uh, so with that said, we're going to now move on to Article 210. So a lot of significant changes that took place in 210. So we wanna cover those. Uh, Remember, we're looking at the way it is right now. Now again, some of this stuff could be an error because they didn't put it into the system correctly. Uh, I found one in in, an Article 200 episode which was not what we agreed at the meeting. So uh, send an email out to the individuals who can make that correction and hopefully they get that correction made. Um, But at the end of the day, just wanted to be clear. All right. So the first one that we're looking at is an Article One Hundred definition that is going to be. Looks like we didn't cover this in Article One Hundred uh, because it's you know it's it's going to be moved over to Article One Hundred. It appears, and that is dealing with the definition of what's called a dormitory unit. And it, what is a dormitory unit? Now let's look at. Now also I want to give you. All of the SRs. Now, what the SR is, is the second revision number. This allows you, when the second draft comes out, you can go right to the SRs, and you can see all the public comments that are associated with this change, as well as the committee statement. That's important. All right? So, this one here, the definition of dormitory unit, is covered under SR uh, 7515. So, 7515. So, when you look at that, you'll see that this one has to do with no less than five public comments. 421, 1375, 379, 528, 1378, all of these were submitted. So, the committee had to massage these into something that's going to probably either answer all of these individuals' questions, or make a statement on why they didn't choose their specific public input, or they're trying to address all of the issues here. So... Here's what they said. The term, this is what the uh, the committee stated. It says the term dormitory unit is being moved to Article 100, as it is used in more than one location within the NEC, and the use of the term is the same throughout. Okay, so you're going to see that what was in 210.2 is now going to be relocated to 100. Now. That's a lot of work for the Correlating Committee because we just did a podcast and it didn't have that definition in there. So remember what I said? There's a lot of things that are going to be tied up and loose ends uh, at the end of the day. This is what the Correlating Committee does. Uh, and so here we're looking at one that's in 210.2, which is going to end up being in 100. And what is that dormitory unit? It is a building or space in a building in which group sleeping accommodations are provided for more than 16 persons. Or are not members of the same family in one room or a series of closely associated rooms under joint occupancy and single management with or without meals, but without individual cooking facilities. Okay, so each each dormitory unit doesn't have individual cooking, but you might have a main cooking location. But with or without meals is irrelevant to what the definition of the dormitory unit is to be. The key trigger here is. And accommodations for sleeping that 16 or more, uh, that type of application. Now, again, clarification was added. This is also based on public comment 1378, which is uh, also seemed to be the key driver here in, in order to be able to make this change. So really, all you're looking at is a change from 210.2 is now moving it over to 100. Why do we do that? Because it's used in more than one article. That's the whole premise of why we move thanks to Article 100. Okay, so that is SR 7515 in case you're writing those down and you want to look at them. All right, the next one that we want to look at has to do under the grouping requirement. Oh, take that back. It does not. It's under 210.5. Sometimes the view of this thing on a computer makes it look weird, but it is dealing with the identification of branch circuits. Okay, and so in this case, it's 210.5 and we're dealing with C. And C is identification of the ungrounded conductors. It says, ungrounded conductors shall be identified in accordance with 210.5 C1 or 2 as applicable. Now, the SR for this change, which I want to go on and give it to you now, the SR is 7525, and that's going to give you the history and what public comments were associated with this change. Now, there is a there is item number one, which looks like it's had to change. And here's what it says. So item number one is noted as brand circuits supplied from more than one nominal voltage system. Okay. And it says where the premise wiring system has brand circuits applied from more than one nominal voltage system. Okay. Each ungrounded conductor of the brand circuit shall be identified by phase or line and by. So no notice it says and by system voltage class at the termination. It says connection and splice points in compliance with 2105C1A. And of course, we we haven't seen C1A yet. And B, which is below. Okay, now it goes on to add new language here. It says different systems within the same premise that have the same voltage system class shall be permitted to use the same identification. So obviously there was clarification needed to make sure that if I had a new system that was being added and there was an existing system there if they are the same voltage classes then that re-identification is not necessary I could use the same identification as the existing if that's what I want to do because they are the same voltage classes. Now, the A and the B, again, is that means of identification. A is means of identification shall be permitted to be by separate color coding, marking tape, tags, or other approved means. Okay, that's just giving you the method to distinguish the different voltage classes. Uh, and then, of course, B, it says posting of identification means. Uh, it says a method utilizing the conductors are originating. Within each branch circuit panel board or similar branch circuit distribution equipment shall be documented in a manner that is readily available or shall be permanently posted. Notice that it says or shall be permanently posted at each branch circuit panel board or similar branch circuit distribution equipment. The label shall be of sufficient durability to withstand the environment involved and, uh, and shall not be handwritten. So it's got to be typed. Uh, or label maker or whatever, but it's got to be you know, durable enough to handle the environment to wherever you're going to put it, outside, inside, subject to UV, whatever it is. Uh, the C caveat here is A and B application is uh, you have to mark in accordance with A, and you have to also meet the requirements of B. You could utilize the uh, documentation of this in another readily available location, or you go on and do the labeling as it states it be. Either one is acceptable, okay? Now, there is an exception to that rule. The exception says, in existing installation where the voltage system already exists and a different voltage system is being added, It shall be permissible to mark only the new system voltage. Okay, and this is the same as we had kind of in the 2017. It said the existing unidentified system shall not be required to be identified at each termination, connection, and slice point in conjunction with 210.5 C1A or B. It does say that labels shall be required at each voltage system distribution equipment to identify that only one voltage has been marked for the new system's. The new system label shall include the words, other unidentified systems exist on the premise. So this is that allowance that says, look, if I'm adding a new system and I have an old system, I don't have to go back and re-identify all of the termination splice points of the old system. However, I got to do the new system, but I need to put something on the old system that lets me know there's a new system and I have to let on the new system, I have to put something, to let you know that there are other uh, un- un- unidentified systems exist on this premise okay so this was a little bit of a an allowance that gave some leeway to something that's been around since 2005 NEC so again only real change here is to remind us up in the charging statement that if I have different systems uh, in the same premise but they happen to have the same voltage class then you can use the same identification for it as you do for the one as you do for the new one okay it doesn't matter And again, the SR for that is 7525, in case you want to go read the intent behind that. The next change that we have is dealing with 210.6. And more specifically, we're talking about C, and that is 277 volts to ground. And you see all of this is an extensive change here. A lot of information uh, was added. Uh, And so the easiest thing to do here is to go look at the second revision and understand what really took place here, okay? And the second revision is 7530. So if you go look at 7530, you're going to see that this is a combination uh, of public comments 2088, 446, 1313, and 463, okay? So you had four different public comments that were making an effort here, Okay, so here's what the panel statement said, and this is basically uh, in order to, they put them in order to improve the readability, the clarity of the requirements in 210.6C. All right, so what's the first thing? Old item number one was split into one and two in order to clarify and delineate between electric discharge and LED luminaires. So they simply broke those two out, okay? They are two different aspects. Number two is... The statements such as luminaires with non-serviceable LEDs, which is not a requirement, was reformatted as an informational note. Okay, so it's just reminding you that those the such luminaires with non-serviceable LEDs, um, which is not a requirement for those. And if you look at the informational note, it states that uh, in there. Okay, so clarity was simply added there for that. Um, So I don't see anything additionally that we needed to to add to that. Number three, item uh, item seven was deleted and the reference to utilization equipment relocated to the main clause. So it moved it up into the actual charging statement, Uh, allowing the the redundant use of the term listed as it applies to luminaires to be eliminated. So what really they did was added the term listed luminaires up into the charging statement. That way, you didn't have to be repetitive through all of the list items and add listed, 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 listed everywhere because it would just redundancy, okay? All right? So, again, the informational note was also added saying luminaires with non service LEDs are examples of luminaires without lamp holders. That's correct. All right. And let's see. Item number four, or option uh, number four change was instances of the term light emitting diode and the acronym LED are updated to standardize on the use of a well-understood acronym, okay? So that change was made in order to be able to facilitate a well-used term, okay? Okay. And lastly, it says the informational note was added to reference 410.90 to address requirements related to the connection of screw shells to the grounded circuit conductor. Now, there was a response here. Uh, it says SR7530, which is, uh, I believe, the one we're dealing with here. It says put was, was rejected, were uh, rejected that, purpose to eliminate the maximum 120 volt limit on medium base and small smaller screw lamp holders if the lamp holders were to be connected directly to a 277 volt brand circuit there would be significant risk that the end user may inadvertently install a 120 volt device um, such as an incandescent light bulb which is really a lamp cfl or led lamp okay in such a lamp holder while the expected failure from such an installation of a 120-volt incandescent light bulb or lamp may or may not cause a glass envelope to shatter, a 120-volt compact fluorescent lamp, commonly referred to as a CFL or LED, LED lamp, is likely to fail um, uh, energetically and unpredictably uh the potential fire risk from this type of misuse outweighs the potential benefits of allowing 277 volt devices on these lamp holders. It should they also say it is noted that should this requirement be for uh, in 410.19 be modified by CMP18 who I guess has purview over that. The requirements for screw shells as it exists in the 2017 NEC code shall be duplicated in section 210.6c with appropriate wording to become part of the requirement in 210.6. Okay. In a nutshell, uh, we're basically reminding people that 277 volts to ground, circuits exceeding 120 volts anomaly between conductors, but not exceeding 277 volts anomaly to ground, shall be permitted to supply cord and plug or permanently connect utilization equipment or the following types of listed luminaires. So that's why they got rid of the term listed, and then, of course, they went into their format, right? Now, the other significant change, again, like I said, is in item three, where it says incandescent or LED luminaires. It says equipped with medium basis or smaller shell uh, screw shell lamp holders, where the lamp holders are supplied at 120 volts or less from the output of a step-down auto transformer. It says LED drivers and other types of power supplies that is an integral component of the Luminaire. So that is item three. Uh, and it just got rid of the other language. It says outer shell terminals, electrically connected to ground conductors, or blah, blah, blah. Okay. So you kind of can see that change. Uh, it is a kind of a funky, if you will, on how it looks, obviously, in TerraView at this time. But at the end of the day, it will clarify itself. Again, this one we're talking about 277 to the ground. B was talking about 120 volts between conductors. And, of course, D is 600 volt between conductors. Okay? All right. The next thing that we want to deal with is 210.8. Wow. So I understand this one went through in and out, uh, an attempt to make every single thing in a house, branch circuit, GFCI protected, in and out, remove the list, bring the list back, Uh, That is hearsay, I guess, I don't know for 100%, but my understanding, that's kind of the iterations of what it went through during the code making panel two's discussion of all this. Um, So I'm going to read you what the code says now in an effort to kind of just correlate with what direction they went. All right, say 210.8, ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel. It says, ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel shall be provided as required in 210.8 A through H. So there was an F and now there's an H. Okay. It says, the ground fault circuit interrupter shall be installed in a readily accessible location. So now we've got one, two, three, four informational notes. Now what are these informational notes doing? Well, the first one is talking about 215.9 uh, for ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel on feeders. So 215 is dealing with feeders. Uh, Not to get confused with 225, which is outdoor feeders and brand circuits, but 215 is truly feeders. Uh, Informational note number two reminds us and says, you know what, you need to go see 422.5a for appliances because there's an extensive list of GFCI requirements for appliances in 422, so you need to look at that. So that's a good note. Uh, This actually came from the first revision, so it's not underlined here because it was part of the first revision. Uh, The next note says, okay, and this was added. It said note number three or information on note number three says, you know what, need to go look at 555.9 for GFCI requirements for boat hoists. So this should remind you that we have GFCI requirements for boat hoists in 555.9. So that's a reminder there. Kind of good reminders. I like reminders. And then information on note number four is new. It says additional GFCI requirements for specific circuits and equipment are contained in Chapters 4, Chapters 5, and chapter 6. Well, obviously, we have requirements for GFCI in Chapter 4, Chapter 5, but again, like in 6, to give you a classic example, we have requirement for GFCI protections on receptacle applications within 6 feet of the pools and and all these type of goodies. Um, So those have their own GFCI requirements that are also added in there as well as well. So this is just a reminder. It's an informational note, but it says, hey, you know what? 210.8 is not the only place that deals with GFCIs, okay? You also got some applications in chapters four, five, and six as well. So it's a good note. It reminds people. Um, Also, it goes on to add here, and there is a little change, but it's just a word. It says, for the purpose of this section, again, when we say this section, we're talking 210.8. It says, for the purpose of this section, when determining the distance from uh, from receptacles, the distance shall be measured as the shortest path that supply cord of an appliance connected to the receptacle would follow without piercing a floor, wall, ceiling, or fixed barrier, or the shortest path without passing through a window. Okay, so there are some changes here. That you have to be aware of that are different than the 2017 code and obviously correlating with the first revision because we have the the application of passing through a door. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Which is no longer here anymore. Okay, and that would be also the provision of passing through a cabinet door is no longer in here. So important to keep that in mind. We have a subtle change there, and then we'll look and see if that changes anywhere else. But really, you're going to see that... Let me give you an example. So in the 2017 code, if I had a receptacle underneath the sink... Uh, and it was within six feet of the sink, but you had to penet- you know, The appliance cord would have had to penetrate the cabinet door. Then it didn't require that to be GFCI protected. However, in the 2020 code, we're going back to kind of what was in the 2014 earlier. Now, if that receptacle is within six feet, uh, then it would have to be GFCI protected because you can't no longer use the door in this allowance, and because the door doesn't appear here anymore. Okay. And the reason it's not underlined here under the second draft is because it was taken care of in the first draft. Now, I am slightly confused if once the code comes out, it will probably all that took place in the first draft and the second draft will all be underlined. So don't worry. Right now, we're just trying to look for what changes took place in the second revision, which are changes to the first draft. That's what we're looking at. If that confuses you, sorry. you got to kind of follow the process. All right, so... The next change we have is under that same 210.8, but it's A, and this is dealing with dwelling units, okay? So this would be, oh, I should add, the 210.8 change that we just talked about to the charging statement, that's under SR 7685 okay? If you're writing these down for quick reference, looking up the code, uh, that's 7685, Okay, so the next one we're talking about is, is a change to dwelling units, and that's an A, and that is 2nd revision 7697, and there are some changes here, um, kind of changes in how we apply things, and I'll talk about it a little bit as we as we cover it, all right, and then we'll look at this 2nd revision first, but I'm going to look at it the way it shows it currently written in the code. Uh, it says dwelling units, A, all 125 volt through 250 volt receptacles, so 120. 125 and 250 mean we're talking about devices here. Uh, If it was 120, we'd be talking about the circuit. But we're talking about devices. So it says all 125-volt through 250-volt receptacles installed in the location specified in 210.8 A1 through 11 and supplied... Okay, notice this and. And supplied by single-phase branch circuits rated 150 volts or less to ground. So that's how we're measuring it. So it's a single-phase... And the circuits measure to ground, not phase to phase in this case. It's the single, any of the single legs measured to ground, okay, that are rated 150 volts or less to ground shall have ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel. Now remember, 240 volts between two, okay, but eating one of those legs to ground would be 120. You, you see what I'm saying? And that would be 150 volts or less, Understand, so that's what we're trying to target. Okay, we're trying to target those 150 volts or less to ground. Okay, so they're the ones that we're targeting here. All right, so now let's see, And, and even those receptacles that are 250 volts receptacles typically that is for use on a 240 volt branch circuit, and so any one of those to ground would be 150 volts or less okay in other words we're not trying to target the 277 to ground application okay all right so let's look at these items so number one is bathroom that didn't really change number two is garage and their accessory buildings no no significant change there that i want to talk about um number three which is outdoors and there is an exception to three an exception to three says, look, receptacles that are not readily accessible and are supplied by brand circuits dedicated to snow melting, de-icing or pipeline or vessel heating equipment shall be permitted to be installed in accordance with 426.28, 427.22. Generally, that's because they're, they're not really going to be readily accessible uh, and things like that. So, you know, they got their own provisions and that's an exception that you can use if we're dealing with an outside because this is an exception to three, which was outdoors. And it meets the requirements of those specific sections within Article 426 and 427. Okay? That's what that is all about. The next one was crawl spaces at or below grade level. No big change there. The next one said finished and unfinished areas of basements. Um, that was changed. I think that came from the 2017... Uh, no, excuse me. I think that came from the first draft language, trying to incorporate both. And now what the code said is let's just make it basements. General basements now at this point it doesn't seem to matter whether it's a finished or unfinished areas of basements it just says basements that's it wow that's a pretty dramatic change there because if i go back and look in the 2017 code and i'm going to do it and i want to look when it says it did say unfinished portions of basements it did not have anything to do with finished, So finished was added in the 2021 draft stage, and it's been clarified into saying, why well, say both finished and unfinished when we're talking about a basement? <laughs> there is either a finished or an unfinished basement. Um, so at this point, it's just basements. Now, there is an exception to that rule. Again, like always, for fire alarm and burglar alarm systems, shall not be required to have ground fault for obvious reasons. And of course, there's an informational note sending you to 76, uh, 760 for that application. Um, it also goes on to say here that receptacles installed under the exception to 210.8A5, which is what we're talking about for fire alarm and burglar alarm, shall not be considered as meeting the requirements of 210.52G. And in other words, they're there because they're for the fire alarm or burglar alarm, right? They're not there to meet any of the requirements of G, okay? Okay. And in 210.52G, and we'll kind of because there is changes, we'll scroll scroll down 210.52G to see what they're talking about. And G is talking about basements, garages, and accessory buildings. So we have some requirements for basement, garages, and accessory buildings, but these receptacles for the firearm or burglar that are being emitted at GFCI okay, are not to be used to, to meet the requirements of G. In 210.52g, okay. These are for obviously directly for the burglar alarm or the fire alarm or whatever. So significant understanding there. Make sure you're, you know, sufficiently clear on what that note, uh, on what that statement is. That's not a note. That is actually part of the code language. Okay. Number six says where the receptacles are installed to serve the countertop surfaces. Okay, no change there. Seven sink receptacles are installed within six feet from the top inside edge of the bowl of the sink. Uh, we clarified last cycle that it needed to be measured from the top inside edge. So there you go. Uh, number eight says boat houses. Number nine says bathtubs and shower stalls. That's no different than what was in 2017. And of course, we have laundry areas. Now, at the bottom, you have an exception statement that says exception to... And I'm not so sure it's in the right place, but let's just go with it. It says, and maybe it is, it says exception to one through three. So that's exception to one, bathrooms, garage, accessory buildings, and outdoors. And it says in five through eight, which is basements, sinks, kitchens, and boathouses, it says listed locking support and mounting receptacles utilizing a combination, uh, in combination with a compatible attachment fitting, so now you see, if you listen to my description back in uh, where I talked in my episode of my podcast on definitions, you saw well, now what a attachment fitting is. It says, Com- compatible attachment fitting installed for the purpose of serving a ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan shall not be required to be ground fault circuit interrupter protected if a general purpose convenience receptacle is integral to the ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan, GFCI protection shall be provided. No, it goes on to say if a general purpose recept- convenient receptacle is integral to the ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan, GFCI protection shall be provided. Wow, we are definitely expanding this application. Okay? But we are incorporating a locking means to be exempt from the requirements. Now, I'm going to go and look at the SR 76 97, because I don't know between me and you whether this may or may not be successful in the revision. Now, this is based on public comments, 696, 1437, 1384, 2020, 901, and four. Uh, excuse me, 247. So if you want to go back and read all those, pause the podcast, go back and look. Uh, but let's kind of look at what the code panel said. Now, 210.8A, editorial change of or less, clarifies the intent of this section. It means we're really talking about uh, 150 volts to ground or less. So um, we made they made that change. Uh, and you can't have anything less than ground, right? So made it clear because we really mean anything less than 150 volts. So that makes sense. Um Then it says, List Item 5, the language revised to simply apply to basements in general. Now, here's the thing. Let's read this one. It says, Exception to the list items. The language is revised in order to specifically address uh, providing GFCI protection for general purpose convenient receptacles. The language is revised to align with Article 410. Now, let me read you the total response here because this kind of clarifies SR-7697, which is the one we're, we're talking about, a response to 1384, 13, uh, 1437, all those PCs that I just told you about. It says, the potential electrical hazard that resides in basements... Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are not eliminated by establishing a demarcation of finished compared to unfinished. In preventing moisture hazard existing With the person being in contact with damp floors, dependent on uh, floor type, and then interacting with the electrical system. Response to 401. This is another response to adding the exception. It says, the proposed additional text in item 6, item 7, and item 9 does not add clarity. So whatever they wanted in 401, they did not accept. Okay, So they're just telling the public comment, did not accept that portion of it. So that was a purely rejected that um, the deletion of single phase in the lead paragraph will would extend the requirement to three phase receptacles. And this and this is new material. OK, so they didn't want to have the new material. So they left the, the reference to single phase the application here. OK, so I don't know. This one might make it. It might not uh, make it. Hard to you know we're gonna to have to see where this goes, but they definitely added the exception to one through three and five through eight and exception in ten. Deal it with listed locking support and mounting receptacles, uh, utilizing a com- a combination with compatible attachment fittings installed for the purpose of servicing a ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan shall not be required to be GFCI uh, GFCI protected if. A general purpose convenience receptacle is integral to that ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan. Okay. So there you go. Uh, GFCI protection shall be provided. All right. Anyway, not so sure. I think we're going to have to have a little bit of clarity on that. And I know that some smart attic out there is saying, Paul, you didn't read it right. But it is what it is. So you have the GFCI protection here expanded. Then you have this exception. So basically this is an exception to... One through three, five through eight, and 10. Obviously, this exception doesn't apply to nine, doesn't apply to four, obviously, it doesn't apply to 11. Okay, so any of those other areas in there, if you had this lock, uh, this listed locking support and mounting receptacle uh, with this compatible attachment fitting, then you can have an exception to this rule. Okay, all right. Next, we have changes to B, which is to 10.8B, which is other than dwelling units. Now, in here, it says all 125 volt through 250 volt receptacles supplied by single phase branch circuits rated 150 volts or less to ground. Okay, so that's kind of cleared up. We, We got that the same as it was in A. And then it still says 50 amperes or less. And all receptacles supplied by three-phase brand circuits, again, rated 150 volts or less to ground, and 100 amperes or less, okay, installed in locations specified in 210.8, B1 through B12, shall have ground fault circuit interruptor protection for personnel. Okay, so we clarified the application. Again, it's, it's, it's brand circuits that are rated 150 volts or less to ground, okay. So, you could have a three-phase application, 208-120, and all of those single legs would be, they would be uh, 120 volts to ground. So, they would be less than 150 volts to, uh, to ground. So, makes sense there. So, as you go through all these, there, there are some exceptions that were added, for example, to, to, to the sink application. So, let's kind of look at it. Uh, this is one of those that I'm going to say this could change again when it gets voted on in a couple weeks. So I'm going to give I'm giving you the SR, which is 7724. Look at this with a grain of salt. It could change, but I'll kind of cover it for you. So number one is bathrooms. Again, other than dwelling units, you know nothing requires a receptacle in a bathroom uh, in a other than dwelling application. But if you do, then it's got to be GOCI protected. Uh, kitchen or areas with sinks for, and permanent provisions for either food preparation or cooking. Um, then you're going to have GFCI protection rooftops. Uh, and there is an exception there. It says rooftop, uh, receptacle and rooftops shall not be required to be readily accessible other than from the rooftop. Uh, while many years ago, people thought when that meant readily accessible, if you didn't have a ladder going to the roof, that it wasn't readily accessible. It really means accessible from the rooftop. Okay. Don't make that complicated. That's what it's talking about. I'm on the rooftop already. The receptacle's there. It's got to be GFCI protected. And, okay, and it's readily accessible at that point. Um, Number four, which is outdoors. um, You have all outdoor applications. But then you have, next, you have some exceptions. So there's an exception, number one, two, three, and four. Again, three and four is rooftops and outdoors. The first exception says, you know what, receptacles that are not readily accessible and are supplied by a brand circuit dedicated to snow, uh, uh, electric snow melting, de-icing, or pipe and vessel, we saw this earlier, and this correlates with Section 28 of 426 and Section 22 of 427, it then shall not be applicable. So then they don't have to be the application. They would not have to be readily accessible. Um, and they don't have to meet the provisions of 3 and 4. Okay? Um, And then you follow the rules that are in those relevant sections of 426 and 427 accordingly. Right? Right. And then, uh, let's see. Exception number two is to item number four, alone, and that's the outdoors. It says in industrial establishments only, so keep that in mind i get a lot of people call me about that when because it's the same thing in 392 when you can run single conductors in a cable tray people think you can do it everywhere and you can only do this application in an industrial establishment okay um other than that a cable tray is designed for cables okay but anyway if it was an industrial establishment then i could use single conductor Uh, but okay that's a different topic so let's stay on topic because I got ADD, whatever, boy, I get off on all kinds of things. So here it's saying, okay, if you're in an industrial establishment only, we're looking for an exception to the GFCI requirements for number four, which is outdoors. It says where the conditions of maintenance and supervision ensure that only qualified persons are involved. An Assured Equipment Grounding Conductor Program, as described or specified in 590.6b2, if you have that program, then it shall be permitted for only those receptacle outlets used to supply equipment that would create a greater hazard if power is interrupted or having a design that is not compatible with the GFCI protection. So you might have that application up in 590 and because of that, we're gonna have an exception to not have to have GFCI on outdoor receptacles, but you need to meet the rules in 590.6b 2 Okay, and so that's all it is. So without the exception, all outdoor receptacles, 125 volt through 250 volts, are going to be uh, GFCI protected. Okay, and of course the voltage caveats that you're dealing with. Uh, the next is sink. Uh, again, we're dealing with other than dwelling units. We're in the B of 210.8. And it says where receptacles are installed within six feet from the top inside edge of the bowl or the sink. Exception to number five. We have one exception here. Uh, Well, we have two, but this is the first one. It says, in industrial laboratories, whatever that is, receptacles used to supply equipment where removal of the power would induce a greater hazard shall be permitted to be installed without GSCI protection. Okay, so in industrial laboratories, we could be doing some kind of experiment, lab, whatever, and the loss of power could cause some reaction that's volatile and it could create a hazard. And we don't want to create a greater hazard. So this is an exception to that uh, application of where you might be near the sink because a lot of times you have these sinks that are right next to the uh where the bunsen burners might be or whatever it is on the sink so there's an exception it only applies to industrial laboratories okay so that's that exception number two says receptacles located in patient bed locations of category two that's your general care application or category one critical care spaces of healthcare care facilities Shall not be permitted to comply with five hundred and seventeen point twenty one. Okay, um, I probably would have worded this different. I probably would have said category one critical care space uh, in a, a, of uh, of uh, I would have said critical care uh, category one spaces of healthcare facilities for critical care or category two general care. Um, I guess it seems to me that Category 1 should be ahead of Category 2 in this. Not that it matters, right? doesn't matter. Anyway, they're both here. And so you have these applications. Um, but it's just telling you that receptacles located in those patient care locations of a Category 2 or Category 1 uh, spaces um, for healthcare facilities shall be permitted to comply with 517.21. Okay? Shall be permitted to comply with 517.21. And the significant thing of that is is because 517.21 had a dramatic change in the 2020 revision process. So you got to go look at 517.21, which is titled "Ground Fault Circuit Interrupter Protection for Personnel in a Category Two or Category One Critical Care or You Know General Care Spaces." So receptacles shall not be required in bathrooms and toilet. So you kind of kind of takes you back to that. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so just to be aware that it correlates with the change that took place in 517.21. So, basically, that's just saying, look, 517.21 says they're not required. Here, they're saying they're required. You got to have an exception to be able to get rid of the general rule, and all it's doing is referencing the application of 517.21, and that gives you all the rules. Um, number six says, indoor damp and wet damp locations. Um No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think they want to talk about indoor damp and wet locations, so it might be a little clearing up that we need to do for the correlating committee, but I'm sure they'll take care of that. Uh, number seven, locker rooms and associated shower facilities. No change there. Number eight, garage, accessory buildings, service bays, and similar areas other than vehicle exhibition halls and showrooms, which don't have to comply with this. Uh, crawl spaces at or below grade level didn't change, and then un- ...finished areas of basements. Remember, we're in other than dwelling right now, so... And then there is an exceptions again. That same exception is exception 1 through 5, 8, and 10. Talking about a listed locking support and mounting receptacle utilizing a combination... ...in combination with a compatible attachment fitting, okay... Installed for the purpose of servicing a ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan shall not be required to be ground fault circuit interrupt protected. So that's an exception to all these other locations. If you have that ceiling luminaire or that ceiling fan in those lumin- luminaires, okay, or in those locations, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, now it also goes to say, well, you know what? If by chance the general purpose convenience receptacle is integral with the ceiling luminaire or ceiling fan. GFCI protection shall be provided. So, tells you when you can't, but then again, it reminds you that if these are convenience receptacles and they're integrated with the luminaire or the ceiling fan, then GFCI protection is going to be required. Uh, then we go on to eleven, which is laundry areas, obviously GFCI, and bathrooms and shower stalls also. In let's see here, next is C. It looks like C was deleted. That is a Oh, should I tell you the revision? I'm sorry, folks. 210.8B. All those changes are dealing with secondary second revision 7724. Okay, I'm starting to get really quick talking, so I apologize. All right. So next one is C boat hoists revision second revision number 7733, and it looks like it deleted C and. This says the comment statements. This section was deleted because GSEI protection for boat hoists is addressed in five fifty five point nine, so it didn't need to be addressed here, so that's being removed. Okay. Now again, the numbering will all get fixed. Uh, I'm sure the next one, which was dwelling uh, crawl space lighting outlets, will get moved up uh, to C, and uh, everything will get taken care of. Don't worry about that. Uh, the next second revision that took place. Is to 108 e Now it's E right now. Again, when the numberings change, it might be slightly different, but right now it's E. And it says specific appliances. So what does it say? It says unless GFCI protection is provided in accordance with 422.5B3 through 5B, or excuse me, B5, which is again all those specific GFCI requirements for specific appliances. It says the outlet supplying the appliance specified in uh, 422.5A shall have GSEI protection in accordance with 422.5B1 or B2. It goes on to say where the appliance is a vending machine, and of course we have no definition of what a vending machine is anymore because we can get that from the UL standard for vending machines. I guess we don't need that anymore. It says where the appliance is a vending machine as specified in 422.5A5, and GFCI protection is not provided in accordance with 422.5 B3 or B4, it says the branch circuit supplying vending machines shall have GFCI protection in accordance with 422.5 B1 or B2. Sounds a lot of redundancy back and forth in there, but I guess they're trying to say, hey, you need GFCI protection on the vending machine. And I would assume it can be on the branch circuit, it can be in the cord, usually somewhere 12 inches of the end of the cord, uh, something like that. But that's your revision. The next one we have is secondary revision or second revision 7587. And this is equipment requiring servicing. And it's titled that, and it says GFCI protection shall be provided for the receptacles required by 210.63. Now, be honest with you, I thought that this was located outdoors anyway, so I would have thought it had to be GFCI protected. But anyway, I need to look at this. So, 7587 is the actual second revision number, and it is under the purview of Code Making Panel 2. And it says, The receptacle required as part of 210.63 are required... For the express purpose of providing maintenance workers with the necessary access to power for use of portable tools. In addition, the receptacles may be located up to 25 feet away from the equipment. So, extension cords used, uh, extension cord use is expected, which can increase the hazard. For these reasons, a new subsection is added to 210.8. To address these receptacles to be provided with ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel. Okay? So this is all based on a public comment 681, if you will. Uh, and this was presented by NECA and IBEW. And they added this to it. And so the information that was added. Now I guess I was probably my understanding was that it would have always covered this under the outdoor receptacle anyway. But anyway, now we just we made it clear, okay, a little clearer. Now, under that heading, or under that, we now also have the reference called outdoor outlets under that. And this is under secondary revision 7676. And this is what it says. It says outdoor outlets. It says all outdoor outlets for dwellings. Other than those covered in 210.8a, exception to 3, that are supplied by single-phase brand circuits rated 150 volts to ground or less, 50 amperes or less, shall have ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel. Exception, ground fault circuit interrupter protection shall not be required on lighting outlets other than those covered in 210.8d. Okay. Now, of course, the ones in D are dealing with the crawl space lighting outlet. So my understanding is they actually had to come back and make this change because they would have required GFCI protection on all the exterior lighting outlets. Okay, And so here they were trying to, I believe, deal with, it says outdoor outlets, but then they had to come and add their, the exception for lighting outlets. Not so sure if they should have said, outdoor receptacle outlets and and meet the intent of what they're trying to deal with here. I don't know. I don't really know the intent of that part. I didn't really dig into it deeply. Uh, I guess we can look at the second revision, which is 7676. So if you haven't written that down, you can go look at that. And here's what the code panel said. It said, a new section requiring GFCI protection on outdoor receptacles supplied by single-phase branch circuits rating 150 volts or less to ground and... 50 amperes or less for dwellings addresses death associated with outdoor outlets connecting equipment so we're talking all outlets it seems to be at this point so the only exception to this rule is lighting outlets okay interesting we'll see how that works uh that might get some massaging done uh later on okay but that's your change um and it's second revision 7676. Now, I will remind you in future videos and podcasts we're going to go into more detail. I'm just trying to give you the top because I can't take 2 hours to do this. Okay? And there's a lot of things in 210. So I'm just trying to give you the what's the language change and I will go into more detail at a later date. Okay? I don't need any thumbs down because you say Paul can you elaborate even more on that? No. I'm not at this time. All right. The next change is to 210.12, the all-famous arc-fault circuit interrupter protection. Okay? So we have some changes here. First thing I noticed that it struck out all of the actual locations. Kitchens, family rooms, dining rooms, it struck all of them out. All of them been struck out. So here's what it says. It says all 120 volt single phase 15 to 20 amp branch circuit supplying outlets or devices installed in dwelling uh, units shall be protected by any of the means described in 210.12 A1 through A6. So the methods didn't change. Maybe some clarification. We'll look at what's underlined here to see if there's any really change to it. But now there's no more argument on what's considered a similar room whatever basically at this stage it is all 120 volt single phage 15 to 20 amp brand circuits are required to be afci protection you can like it you can hate it you can argue it you can debate it it is what it is now there is a distinct possibility that this will not get two-thirds of a vote in a couple weeks and if that's the case it will revert back okay um to what it was probably in the 2017 code um but we have to see what takes place. And to be honest with you, I don't remember exactly what was in the first revision on this. I think this was part of the first revision or the expanded part of it was in the first revision. But all I know is the deal here is everything, if this goes through, would have to be AFCI protected if it's 120 volts. So it's the branch circuit we're talking about. Okay, Single phase, 15, 20 ampere branch circuits are all going to have to be AFCI protected in a dwelling unit application. So one didn't change. That's the listed combination AFCI that didn't change. Uh, Two, listed branch branch feeder type AFCI installed at the origin of the branch circuit. Uh, That's a good point here. Do you know the difference between what's called a dual function and a combination AFCI? Well, the combination AFCI is looking for parallel and series arcs. uh, And where the branch feeder type AFCI is really not. It's looking for parallels but it wasn't looking for series on the supply side um, those applications so it really doesn't have the same type of protection as you get with a combination. So the combination is really looking for both series and parallel arcs. So you had limited coverage under the branch feeder ones but as long as you put in the first outlet you put one of the uh, outlet branch circuit type AFCIs then you can still use the branch feeder type AFCIs uh, at the panel and then, which which only covered parallels, and then you could add the outlet style, which does cover series upstream, but definitely adds parallel downstream. So they work together, if you will. So that's allowed under option two. Uh, option three, which is a listed supplemental arc protection circuit breaker. Again, I've argued that I don't know that one exists, but at any rate, it's in here. Uh, the device people had a, literally had a meltdown uh, because... Even if they don't make it, they wanted the ability to make it. I hate when a code does that. But anyway, there it is. Uh, The next one is a listed outlet branch circuit, which is what we're talking about, Uh, the ones that are like a receptacle. They look very similar to a GFCI. Uh, And you have to meet all these provisions here. Uh, There's a maximum length, whether you're dealing with 14 or 12-gauge conductors, uh, where it's installed, in the first outlet box, okay? And, you know, you got to meet all these rules, Okay. Uh, and then that was seven. And then, of course, you had um, the formatting on this kind of got screwed up. Okay. So you got to kind of look at what the end result is. But what I'm telling you is is nothing really changes. still A1 through A6. It's just the formatting got kind of messy, if you will. All right. Uh, and then, of course, then you look down at the next one, which used to say if RMC, IMC, EMT. So they got rid of the types. And what they said is, if metal raceway, metal wireways, metal auxiliary gutters or type MC or type AC cable meeting the applicable requirements of 250.118 if you remember 250.118 means that the armor is being used as an equipment grounding conductor okay that's what 250.118 is talking about it says with 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 metal boxes used with metal boxes metal conduit bodies and metal enclosures are installed for the portion of the branch circuit between the branch circuit overcurrent device and the first outlet, it shall be permitted to install a listed outlet branch circuit. That's the the ones that look like a receptacle uh, at the first outlet of the branch circuit. Okay. And that protects the remaining portion. Now, the portion that leads to that receptacle is obviously protected by the metal raceway or the metal cable assembly. Okay. So that's not really a change. The only change here is we, we got rid of all the individual wiring methods and just used the general terms, metal raceways and things like that, okay? Also significant is we got rid of the need for steel armor type AC. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter, okay? Uh, and so that, you know, and of course the last one you had to deal with uh, is you could use non-metallic conduit. Or MC that's encased in two inches concrete. Obviously, that's going to be PVC jacketed MC, uh, and as long as it's encased all the way up to the first outlet, you still have that allowance in there. Okay, and of course, you have your exceptions to all these dealing with 760. Obviously, talking about fire alarm applications, so that's that's yeah, all in there as well. Uh, the next one uh, is, I believe, it's 210.15. And it looks to me there's a gap in the numbering. I guess there's no 210.14. It's just a 210.15, and it's dealing with reconditioned equipment. And this is, oh wait a minute, guys, the second revision number for the 210.12A is because I know you people, some people, freak out over this AFCI thing. It is 7740. But if you go looking at it online when it's published, hopefully an FPA will clear up some of TerraView's mistakes in the formatting. Okay, to make it clear. Um, so, anyway, it will be clear. Trust me. Um, just remember that. That's what the second revision number is. Oh, you know what? I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going to bash TerraView because I know what it has made it easier. I loved using it during the public, uh, the second draft meetings because when they made the changes, man, it came live and you got to see what it looked like on the screen. Now, sometimes there were formatting issues and they made notes and the guys from NFPA, the guys and gals, did a wonderful job. And they're going to get all that sorted out. But, you know, it's that's a tough job. Okay, so reconditioned equipment. It says the following shall not be reconditioned. Ah, so we have some applications here where we're telling you you can't recondition certain things. Number one, it says equipment that provides ground fault circuit interrupter protection for personnel. So you ain't going to be reconditioning those GFCIs. Number two says equipment that provides our fault circuit interrupter protection. That's AFCIs. You ain't going to be reconditioning those either. You're going to buy new ones there. And then three is equipment that provides ground fault protection. That's GFP. We refer to that as GFPE because that's protection of equipment. Um, and that's usually 20 milliamps and higher or whatever it is, depending on the equipment. Um, so that can't be reconditioned either. Okay, so there's a lot of things that we can recondition, but these these things can't be reconditioned. And that is part of 2nd revision 7657. Okay, and uh, I don't know who that actually came from. That looks looks like that's from the panel. Uh, but it looks like it's supposed to be a new section 210.13, but in here it's listed as 210.15, so... Who knows how that's going to work out. I just want to give you the heads up, okay, what's coming. All right, 210.19, conductors, the minimum ampacity and size. So we have a revision to A1, okay? Hopefully, we're going to try to make some clarity to this because I did a a video and a podcast called Derating Demystified, and so we're just kind of clearing up some things, uh making getting rid of some verbiage that makes it more complicated maybe let's see what they did here so the second revision is 7752 so write that down Uh, 7752 is dealing with the change to 210.19a1 so if you're one of those guys that are doing documents for uh your locality or maybe you're writing an article for magazines kind of tells you what's changing here um it says number one uh 210.19A1 general, it says branch conductors shall have an ampacity not less than the larger of 210.19A1A or A1B. Okay, so not larger of the two, so I'm allowed to do two, each one. And it used to say, and shall meet the equipment termination provisions of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now it just says the larger of 210.19A1A and A1B and comply with 110.14C for equipment terminations. And remember that we're dealing with 110.14C. is talking about 60 ampere, I mean, 60 degrees. Uh, and we're talking with uh, a 75 degree rating of the terminals. Remembering that 90 degree ratings uh, can be used for adjustment and correction. Okay, but we always have to worry about terminal limitations. So this is a shameless plug. Go and listen to my video Watch my video on derating demystified to learn the understands how you use 210.19A1A versus A1B, okay, and K, okay, and not larger than either of those. All right, so the first one there was no change. Again, remember that non-continuous loads at 100% and 125% of continuous loads that did not change. Uh, I don't see anything then changing in here except for the. The exceptions, it says exception number one to 1A. So this exception number one only makes an exception to 1A if you're utilizing 1A because you have to go between A or B, okay? So A says if the assembly includes an overcurrent device protecting the brand circuit is listed for 100% operation, what if it's listed to 100% operation, then I don't have to worry about the extra 25% for the continuous load because it's listed to run at a 100% of its rating. Okay, so that's what that exception is. Um, the verbiage hasn't changed. It's just this flow has changed. The exception number two says, okay, well, this is an exception to 1A and 1B. Okay, and this is the same thing. It says uh, where a portion of the branch circuit is connected at both its supply and load ends to separately installed pressure connectors as covered in 110.14C2. Uh, that's this kind of a taps, distribution taps, if you will. It shall be permitted... To, uh, it shall be permitted to have the allowable ampacity in accordance with three ten fifteen b and not less than the sum of the continuous load plus the non-continuous load. Okay, so that means you just to get to o- omit the extra uh, 25%. Okay, in this application. Uh, it says, no portion of the branch circuit installed under this exception shall extend into an enclosure containing other than branch circuit supplied or the branch circuit load termination. So let me give you an example. This is from two panels. It goes up into a junction box. You have taps or devices that are designed, uh, pressure connectors that are listed under 110.14C2. At that point, from there, from the one point to the other point of those conductors, and we're dealing with branch circuit conductors, they do not have to take into account the additional 125% because the termination limitations aren't there like you have on devices, like overcurrent devices. Okay, so that's what this means, all right? Um, it, what it really means is the conductor that's going from the breaker up to that junction box is probably going to be sized at 125% of the continuous and 100% of the non-continuous. Once you get to that pressure connection there, from there to the next pressure connection, which is downstream only has to take into account 100%. That's the sum of the continuous and the non-continuous load. Once you get to the other end, you have that connection, okay? that pressure connector. From there down to the breaker, then you have to kick back in the 125% of continuous and 100% of the non-continuous. Okay, That's all that provision is saying. Just the numbering's changed a little bit. Uh, And if we want to look at the SR, that is 7752. If you want to look at some of the history on that. And here's what the panel said. The panel said the text in 210.1981 is revised to read and shall comply with 110.14c for equipment terminations to comply with the style menu and remove the phrase provisions of. So that's all they really did is we're trying to get away from the use of provisions of Okay, which the style manual, which if you've never downloaded that, it's free. It's on NFPA's website. You can learn a lot of things about things that we remove from the NEC because of being in violation of the style manual of how we write it. So this is another example. So provisions of were removed throughout the code. Uh, text is added to clarify the, the items to which the exceptions apply. For example, the text to 1A is added to after exception number one, and the text to A1 and B is added after exception number two, just to add clarity to which ones of these exceptions that they apply with, okay? And that correlates with the public comment 847 that was submitted, and the individual that submitted this was, hey, guess what? It was the correlating committee, and this probably was a result of something I sent to a couple individuals based on That derating demystified video I did, there was some things that weren't really clear, but now it seems crystal clear. Okay, let's move on. Everything else up to this point doesn't look like changed. Ah, now we get down to 210.52, dwelling unit receptacle outlets, and we have a change. Now, this is an SR, if you want to write this down. It's SR seventy 7601 Now, incidentally, this SR itself... Uh, was done based on, uh, again, something that was submitted uh, during the process, uh, and it resulted in 7601. Now, it could have been from committee members looking at other public comments and and doing what's called a reject but see and coming up with this. Who knows? But it was changes that were made by Code Panel 2. Now, the change that we're going to see here in a second, the Code Panel says that the wall switch was changed to listed wall-mounted control device to be consistent with changes that were made in the the first revision in 210.70A1. So a whole different area of the code, 210.70A1, had made a change from wall switch to actually listed wall-mounted control devices, because that's basically what it really is. And to correlate that, here at the public comment stage, the committee made that change for clarity here and you know to make it be consistent. So that's what was done. So in this case, you'll see that item number two says controlled by a listed wall-mounted control device in accordance with 210.70A1, exception number one. Now that's why it was significant because when they made the change in 210.70A1 back at the first revision stage of the 2020 cycle, this would have made reference to a, of a listed wall switch. And that's not what it said in 210.70A1. So, again, just editorial in nature uh, and to correlate with the change that was done in 210.70A1, exception number one. Okay? So, that was really the only significant change there. The next change that we're dealing with is kitchen receptacle requirements. All right. So, this is item C. Okay? Nope. Take that back. Nope. I am so sorry. It is not. Boy, sometimes it's hard to read these things. The change is in 210.52C, countertop and work surfaces. Ah, okay. So it's not having to do with kitchen receptacle placement. It's having to do with countertop and work surfaces. Now let's read it here. It says, because we had some dimensions placed in here a little bit. It says, in kitchens, pantries, breakfast rooms, dining rooms, and similar areas of dwelling units, receptacle outlets for countertop and uh, and work surfaces that are 12 inches or wider. Okay, so that's underlined. So that's an addition here to the second uh, draft stage. Uh, That are 12 inches or wider shall be uh, installed in accordance with 210.52C1 through c3 and shall not be considered as receptacle outlets required by 210.52a okay what does that mean well we have the general requirements that are required in 210.52a for spacing okay you remember the old rule six and twelve foot rule we like to say that no point along the wall is more than six feet from a receptacle we have that general rule that's 210.52a okay but you have some of these countertop and work surface areas that are not to be considered as a receptacle required in 2 as far as the count goes, as far as spacing. These are in addition. So let's look and see what it says. So it says, for the purposes of this section, it starts off by that. It says, for the purposes of this section, when using multi-outlet assemblies... Each 12 inches of multi-outlet assembly containing two or more receptacles installed in individual or continuous lengths shall be considered to be one receptacle outlet. Okay? So, every 12 inches. Okay? Each 12 inches of multi-outlet assembly containing two or more receptacles in that 12 inches. Okay? Whether it's an individual piece of multi-outlet assembly or a continuous length shall be considered to be one receptacle outlet, okay? Now, let's go on to wall spaces, which is item number one. It says wall spaces. Receptacle outlets shall be installed so that no point along the wall line is more than 24 inches measured horizontally from a receptacle outlet in that space. So that's what we're measuring to, okay? So in that space that we're dealing with, that 24-inch space, we have to be able to measure from a receptacle to that space, and I can't be more than 24 inches horizontally from that receptacle that's located in that space. Okay, makes sense. That's dealing with the wall space. Now, there's an exception. The exception says, you know what? Receptacle outlets shall not be required directly behind a range, counter-mounted cooking unit, or sink in the installation described in figure 210.52C1. Okay, so we have the, the typical pictures that we see that shows the space behind a counter-mounted cooking unit or a sink within a, 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 or a sink extended from the face of the counter, um, and we also have the one that shows counter-mounted cooking unit or sink mounted on a corner, okay, so uh, incidentally, you really didn't change your spacing, okay, outlet within 24 inches of the end of the counter, each end within 24 inches of the sink uh, within that space can not be more than 24 inches from a receptacle outlet that's in that space. So nothing really changed there with that. Uh, it's just kind of restructuring it a little bit. Now, item number two, islands and peninsular countertops and workspaces. Okay, a little bit of reformatting here, a little bit of reworking. Here's what it says. Receptacle outlets shall be installed in accordance with a... And B, okay. What does A say? At least, at least one receptacle outlet shall be provided for the first. Wow, look at what they've done here. It says that the outlet, at least one receptacle outlet shall be provided for the first nine foot nine square feet or fraction thereof of the countertop or work surface. A receptacle outlet shall be provided for every additional. 18 square feet or fraction thereof of the countertop or work surface. I'm going to tell you right now, they went from probably making this not difficult to correlate in the 2014 to a potential issue in the 2017 to now people saying, oh my God, how do I do this? What is the dimension? So I can see I'm going to need to do a video for this one, I can tell you. Anyway, that's what the code says. I don't want to get into explaining it all, but just you need to know that this is what we're talking about. Now, it also says at least one, and it's going to talk about the provision for more. Now, it says B says at least one receptacle outlet shall be located within two feet of the outside edge of a peninsular countertop or work surface. Additionally, required receptacle outlet shall be permitted to be located as described by the installer, designer, or building owner. The location of the receptacle islets shall be in accordance with 210.52 C3. Okay. So C3 is next. We really haven't looked at C3, but kind of a, a restructuring. Now for me, I need to go and look at this second revision real quick. 7644. Because I'm look trying to look at these concepts here. And, and how they, they they got to it here. And it looks a little bit better when you see it in that language, I guess. It kind of looks a little bit better. Um again, it says at least one receptacle shop provided for the first nine square feet or fraction thereof of the countertop or working space. Okay. Uh, A receptacle outlet shall be provided for every additional 18 square feet or fraction thereof of the countertop or work surface. Hmm. (laughs) Boy, I could see this one's going to be... Okay. I think I would have made this a little simpler. I would have bought back the connecting edge and required a receptacle to be on that connecting edge, and then I would have put a length limitation to that because we already know what a peninsula is based on its dimensions 12 by 24, right? Short dimension, long dimension. This, to me, serves to make it a little bit more confusing. And at least they should have provided a graphic because they they, they provided a graphic for the dimension of the area behind a range, which seems pretty common sense. But here, I don't know. This ought to be a pretty good one. Okay. And then the second one says, okay, all right, uh, you have to meet the coordinates with A and B. So the B says at least one receptacle outlet shall be located within two feet of the outside edge of a peninsula countertop or work surface additionally required, additional required receptacle outlets shall be permitted. I like how this says this. It says additionally required receptacle outlets, and then it says shall be permitted. It's kind of like an oxymoron there uh, to be located as determined by the installer. Hmm. Well, then if they're shall be permitted, then they're actually optional, right? Okay. Anyway, I'm going to leave that alone. But now you've got some uh, square footage uh, applications you need to be aware of. So I am hoping that people out there can really get a hold of a knit ma'am and try to clarify this thing. I think the easiest language would have been bring back the connecting edge and have a length descriptor on the length of that peninsula. Okay. Uh, Kind of like we do for the hallway. You know, if it's, over 10 feet, you got to have a receptacle, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway. All right, so item, then we go down to three. Because it says the location of the receptacle shall be in accordance with 210.52C3. And it says receptacle outlet location. Receptacle outlet shall be located in one or more of the following. Number one, it says on or above the countertop or work surface. On or above, but not more than 20 feet above the countertop or work surface. Um, hmm. I don't know how that flows, but that's not really a big. That's not a change there. Number two, it says the countertop or work surface receptacle outlet assemblies listed for use in countertops or work surfaces shall be permitted to be installed in countertops. Those those pop up things or those flip ups that are they actually go down, but in the countertop, but they actually pop up above it. So that's okay. Um, And then it says below the countertop or work surface. It says for more, no more. Then 12 inches below the countertop or work surface, receptacles installed below the countertop or work surface shall not be located where the countertop or work surface extends more than six inches beyond its uh, supported base. So where this used to be pretty much an exception is now written into the general rule and it's going to allow you to do it rather than have to divert to the exception is the way I read it. Um, It also goes on to say, receptacle outlets rendered not readily accessible by appliances fastened in place. That's like those little corner garages. We call them appliance garages. Uh, Sinks or range tops uh, as covered in 210.52C1, exception, that's the ones that are behind it. Um, uh, uh, Exception, or appliances uh, occupying assigned spaces should not be considered as, uh, as these required locations. Okay, so... Basically, if I've got a receptacle that's inside of an appliance garage, that's that little accordion, a little, uh, uh, what do you call it, roll top desk type of cover on it or whatnot, that receptacle in there is not meeting the spacing requirements, okay? That's just in there, so that's addition, okay? That's an addition, all right? Then uh, we also go on to informational note number one. Just to remind you that 406.5E, 406.5G for installation of receptacles in countertops, 406.5F, 406.5G for installation of receptacles in work surfaces, you know, blah, blah, blah. I personally am not sure. I don't know. I, I can't think that I've honest I with you. I don't know that I agree with this one as far as their square foot calculation. Um, but anyway, there it is. I'm going to move on before I say something I don't want to say. All right, let's move on. All right. So the next we're going to talk about 210.62, which is show windows. Okay. So basically it is states that, um, no, wait a minute. We're not going to talk about 210.62. Sorry about that. That is show windows. That was not a change. It's 210.63, which we talked about earlier. There is a revision to 210.63. It's just used to say areas where uh, areas where required. God, I don't even know what it used to say. Hold on. Let's pull up the code because I'm looking at what it was. So you have to remember that what happens is the code is one thing. Then it goes to the first draft. And then it goes from the first draft to here and things change. So 210.63 in the 2017 code said heating, air conditioning, refrigeration equipment. Okay. It has morphed, and really what was this for? It was for servicing. I mean, that's what it was for. So in the first draft, it referred to the servicing. Now it's clarified it even more, and it says equipment requiring servicing. Okay. And it says a 125 volt single phase 15 or 20 amp rated receptacle outlet shall be installed at an accessible location uh, within 25 feet of the equipment as specified in 210.63 A and B. So we've broken it up now. That's what the first draft did, kind of broken it up, and now we're kind of refining a little bit. So A deals with those heating, air conditioning, refrigeration equipment. So that was the genesis of the original uh, requirement in the 2017 under 210.63. Here it says the required receptacle outlet shall be located on the same level as a heating and air conditioning and refrigeration equipment. So same level. It says the receptacle outlet shall not be connected to the load side of the equipment branch circuit disconnection means. Okay. So basically it's saying I don't want it to be connected to the load side of the disconnection means for the air conditioning, heating, or refrigeration equipment. Okay. That's not what they want you to be able to do with it. Okay. Okay. It's its, it's its own receptacle outlet that could be fed off of another branch circuit, but it is not to be tapped on the load side of the equipment's branch circuit disconnection means, like a HVAC unit outside, uh, things like that. Uh, there is an exception. The exception said a receptacle outlet shall not be required at a one and two family dwelling for the service of an evaporator cooler. Okay, very used a lot in the South. Um, Basically, it's just water that is pushed through material. Fans blow through it, and it's it's cools based on evaporation. Um, not a heat pump. It's not not what we're talking about. Okay, just an evaporative cooler. Uh, I've seen a lot of these on the roof in Georgia and things like that. Okay, because they have a lot of high humidity and things like that. And now B is other electrical equipment, and this kind of brings together something. And it says, okay, well, uh, it uh, says other electrical equipment. It says in, air, in other than one and two family dwelling units. So that's what this one is dealing with. It says the receptacle outlet shall be located as specified in two ten sixty three b one and B2. So if it's indoors, you have service equipment indoors. Then it says the required receptacle outlet shall be located within the same room or area as the service equipment. So it's got to be in that same room. Okay, you still have the charging statement, okay, which is within 25 feet. That's no different, but it's got to be within the same room. No different than it was before, to be honest with you. Uh, Here, it's just clarifying. Now, it used to say outdoors too, but that one was deleted in 2017, so we didn't have that. Now, it also goes on to say number two, which is B2. It says indoor equipment requiring dedicated equipment space. Okay, it says where equipment other than service equipment, so whatever equipment other than the service equipment, requires dedicated equipment space as specified in 110.26E. And we talked about that when we went over the 110 requirements. It says the the required receptacle outlet shall be located within the same room or area as the electrical equipment and shall not be connected to the load side of the equipment's branch circuit disconnection means. Okay, so again, this is having to do with how you derive this from indoor equipment uh, requiring dedicated equipment space. Okay, so I've got that equipment. I require that dedicated space. I cannot come off of the load side of that equipment's branch circuit to be able to make that application. Okay, uh, the disconnection mean. I can't come out of the disconnection mean and do that. All right, All right. so that's your change in 210.63. There's an A and a B now. How exciting is that? All right, so barring any changes, remember we have votes that are still going to come up and it has to have two-thirds of a vote for all these things to make it in the code. Um, Some of the things here I hope they look at a little clearer. Hopefully the correlating committee looks at, most certainly looks at the Peninsula Island one and tries to clarify that. I don't think they did any effort to clarify it. I think they... I don't know. It seems more confusing now. I can explain it, and I'm going to do some graphics for it to make it clear for people. Uh, I don't want to get into that now. Uh, you just have to know how to measure square foot, and you know where's the demarcation on that, and whether you know. Obviously, they got rid of per- the perpendicular wall, so I don't know. We'll have to see how that works out. Um, I applaud them for attempting, but I don't see where they made clarity here. I think it's. I think it was simple. You could have made it simple. Bring back the connecting edge and put a length requirement on the peninsula. It's simple. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm being fair. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, in fact, I might submit a nit, ma'am, and uh, try to fix this one because I, I just think this does nothing but add confusion. Anyway, that's all we're to talk about in 210. Remember, we still have nit You still have voting to take place. This is only current as of November third, 2018, and. Changes still could be done to this. Uh, Some of this might be incorrect. It might not have gone right into TerraView, so that's my full disclaimer. Um, Hopefully, you got something from it. Uh, uh, Obviously, uh, Article 210 was extensive, so it took us about an hour and a half to cover all those things. Again, I tried to cover it from a 30,000-foot view, so hopefully you got something out of it. If you have any questions or you want to ask a question about any one of these changes in more detail that I couldn't really go through here... um, then feel free to email me at info at masterthenec.com or info at electricalcodeacademy.com, and I am more than happy to answer your question and try to clarify what might have taken place, uh, research it for you, because I didn't sit in on these panels. Um, I wish I had a set in when they got to this peninsula one, that's for sure. Uh, but I didn't. So and anyway, until next time, stay safe, folks. God bless. Looking bright.